Welcome to Technovation. I'm Peter High. My guest today is Dave Williams. Dave is Merck's Chief Information and Digital Officer. Merck is a multinational pharmaceutical company with roughly $48 billion in annual revenue. Under Dave's direction, the technology organization is focused on helping Merck's research, manufacturing, and business units develop and leverage digital solutions to serve customers and achieve business value. Dave has held numerous roles over his 18 years with the company, most recently prior to this one as Chief Information Officer of Merck Animal Health. And now for a word from our partner, Tanium, and the company's co-founder and Chief Executive Officer, Orion Hindawi. Orion wanted to take a moment to provide some recommendations for CXOs in charge of technology and digital about how best to manage the cybersecurity landscape. Yeah, so our customers, I think, are realizing there are three things that they really need to be secure. The first is they have way too many products. And as a result of that, they're unable to operate all these products well, and there are holes in their security posture that are created as a result. Many of our customers have 20 or 30 or sometimes 50 different tools. And if they can move to a platform approach, they have a much higher chance of succeeding. The second thing that a lot of our customers are realizing is they need certain visibility on their environment. Every asset where it is, who's using it, what data's on it, what vulnerabilities it has, and to really be able to trust that they have three or four nines confidence in that data set instead of, in some cases, 85 or 90% confidence, which in reality leaves way, way too much of a surface area of vulnerability. And the third one is they need to be able to remediate problems they find instantaneously at scale, globally, even over slow links, even over devices that are not easy to reach. Because without that capability, unfortunately, even if you know that there's a problem, you're still gonna get hit by the security event that comes after it because you can't fix it in time. And so between that platform approach, being able to have really, really comprehensive visibility and having really strong control, our customers are seeing a huge upgrade in their capability. And now on to the interview. Dave, welcome to Technovation. Great to speak with you today. Thanks for having me, Peter. Excellent. Well, I, I thought we would begin with your, your current role. As I mentioned a moment ago, you were the Chief Information and Digital Officer. Talk a little bit about uh, the purview and, and perhaps a little bit about the two sides of that role. Sure. Uh, thank you. We have, um, so we have a team of about 3,300 talented IT professionals that support our end-to-end -end global business uh, from early discovery in the labs to clinical development, manufacturing, supply chain, sales and marketing, as well as all of our, our corporate functions. Um, we have uh, you know, divisional CIOs that face off to each of those business units I mentioned. And then we have a, a set of shared capabilities for infrastructure, security, enterprise application analytics, et cetera. Um, we have uh, a, a four hub model globally. So we have hubs in Singapore, Prague, Branchford, New Jersey, and Austin, Texas. And yeah, it's interesting. I always get asked the question, you know, what's the difference between the CIO role and the CDO role? And yeah, I always say I've never really felt a difference. Um, you know, you'll ask some people and they'll say, well, the CIOs are focused on kind of the IT infrastructure and, you know, the CDOs are focused on driving digital and transformation. And, and for me, I've always looked at the two together and had the opportunity to, to do both roles in animal health. So you know, I guess I would say, you know, the, the CDO is, is a little bit more about actually driving business transformation and change and making sure that you're applying that technology to drive real value. So, yeah, those are the two sides of the role. That's really interesting. Uh, 
And I, you, you talked about how significant the operations are. These are these are massive businesses underneath the corporate umbrella. And talk a bit further, if you would, about how it's governed. So you have been a business unit to chief information officer and chief digital officer before ascending to the global role. How do you, how do you now work with uh, your your old peers? Uh, how how are things governed? What is managed at the center versus those things that are federated and, and autonomous uh, for, within the purview of those those leaders? Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, it's, you know, it's, it's certainly not the easiest thing and it's, it's continually evolving. Um, and I always share with my team in the organization that at, a, at the highest level, Peter, I think there's three things that we really need to focus on. Um, the first is we absolutely need to have great relationships with our business partners. We need to understand their businesses, their domains, and really act as those trusted advisors. If, if you don't have the relationship, the credibility, the trust, uh, everything else is much more difficult. So it always starts with those, those relationships. Second, and related to that, is we need to make sure that we're focused on the top priorities that are gonna drive the most value for our business and our patients. Um, and we need to be absolutely obsessed with realizing value from those, those top priorities. Yeah, I often tell my team, uh, you know, as technologists, we get very excited when we launch something right? A new platform, a new product, a new technology. And, and we should, that, that's certainly a point in time to celebrate. But it's also the point in time where you've spent all the investment and have zero return, if you think about it, right? It's, a, it's equivalent to in our business, you know, we get approval for a new a new pharmaceutical product. That's great, but we, we have no sales yet. We've spent everything in the R&D and we haven't generated a return yet. So I, I often tell my team that that's, that's actually the starting line. And what you do after you launch a new capability is so important because that's when you actually realize the value. So we have to make sure we're focused on those priorities priorities, and realizing value. And then the last thing is you have to be agile because the world doesn't stand still. Um, you know, things change rapidly. We've certainly learned that in the last 15 months or so. Um, technology changes very quickly. Competition changes quickly. So you need the relationships, you need to focus on the priorities, and you need to make sure that you're agile and you, you adjust when you need to. That's kind yeah. of how I think of governance at the highest level. I really like that. And I, I uh, your mention of the need to think beyond just the launch, to think about you know managing after launch, so to say, um, brings to mind a priority that I know that you've, you've had, which is changing IT's orientation from a project to a product orientation. Um, and I have to imagine that those are uh, two sides of the same coin, that in fact, the product orientation is in many ways optimizing, hel helping uh, IT uh, develop that mentality such that, you know, once you've launched something in so many ways, as you put it, it's the beginning. It's at that point that the further refinement, the additional innovation around that, um, you know, turning things on or off based upon their efficacy, et cetera. Um, talk a bit about uh, that journey from, from project to product, if you would. Sure. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll start with describing what, what I think of as more of a legacy model now, um, you know, the project-based model where, yeah, you, know, you think about traditionally how IT has worked, you 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 gather requirements, um, which is, by the way, one of my, I, I hate when IT asks that question, you know, what are your requirements? Because it just, it's more of an order taker mindset. But in any event, you, you start with, okay, what are your requirements? You, you design a solution. You build it, you test it, it gets ultimately deployed, and then you go into support mode. And then you you repeat that for business needs as they come up. And what ends up ultimately happening to these projects is they become legacy in our business. 
um, either because they're just older or they no longer meet, meet the needs of the business and they've moved on. Um, and I think this, this model that we've all been following for so many years is actually a big reason we have such challenges in corporate America now as it relates to technical debt and securing some of this older infrastructure. And, and, and honestly, having some of our business partners were frustrated with the solutions from a user experience standpoint or capabilities. So in a product model, you, you actually act much more like a software hardware, hardware business who's developing and continually enhancing product offerings, right? You wanna be focused on, I wanna build a product that's gonna go out into the market. I wanna gain market share. I wanna have thrilled customers. And I wanna always be so closely connected to them that we've got enhancements that are you know, continually meeting their needs and adding, adding more and more value over time. And so it's a very different mindset. Um, it just naturally lends itself to be closer to your customers and your business partners internally. And the way you do that is also important. And this is a big change because you wanna build you know, product teams where you, you eliminate the silos and you just take all the different roles that need to be put together to deliver that product into one you know, group and not necessarily from an org, uh, org chart standpoint, but, but logically or from a matrix um, and you empower them, right? You empower them to meet the needs of that business, to own their roadmaps, to own their investment. And you know, in the areas where we are working this way, um, our employee engagement is the highest. It's, 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 it's a much more fun way to work than kind of that traditional waterfall. Now, we have a long way to go. Uh, in this, I think as many corporations do, um, some of this is still on PowerPoint slides, as I like to say, and, and we have to make it real. But just to highlight maybe, Peter, one example that's related to um, you know, the pandemic is, you know, we had a, a capability in the um, augmented reality space that we started developing probably three or four years ago. Um, and it's based on HoloLens and allows us to uh, virtually put people in the manufacturing shop floor or in the labs, you know, wherever they are geographically. And, you know, we had, I would say, decent adoption uh, up until last March. Uh, but then once the pandemic hit and people that typically would travel to a manufacturing site to help with an inspection or help with a, a build out of, of capital equipment were no longer able to be there, they, they needed to be there still, right, to keep business running. And so the, the adoption of this platform, which we call Remote Assist, took off exponentially. Um, I mean, we've probably have 10 times the amount of infrastructure out there now than we had 15 months ago. And our business partners love it. And I think one of the key success criteria there is it's a product team, right? There's a team that's self-contained. They handle everything from the infrastructure to the user experience to the, to the augmented reality capability. And it's been a real success story. That's a great one. I appreciate you sharing that. I know another uh, area of focus is an acceleration, uh, accelerating the move to the cloud. Uh, something that you see as as paramount uh, in being developing the sort of agility you described at, at writ large. Talk a bit about your vision there and the extent to which, if 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 it did, the extent to which the events of the past year have uh, have hastened its acceleration. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think every corporation has a cloud initiative, right? It, it wouldn't be an IT department if you didn't. Um, and in ours, you know, it's interesting, when I came into this role 15 months ago, um, I would have said, you know, I think we're pretty progressive in terms of how we adopt cloud. But it was one of those areas that I actually, you know, committed myself to, to dive deeper into and, and learn more. And, and the more I learned, the more I realized that there's a 
it's more than an opportunity to simply um, move infrastructure and applications to a more you know flexible, scalable environment. It's actually an opportunity to totally transform your entire operation. So I don't look at our journey to cloud as really a cost cutting initiative. I look at it as something that's going to significantly improve our speed, agility, enable us to to light up new capabilities much, much more quickly than we used to be able to. But honestly, Peter, I think the a big opportunity we have to innovate in this space is how we execute on the journey. Um, and, you know, again, everybody has a cloud initiative, but and, and you've, people have had mixed success with it. Um, it's a big cultural shift. You know, you need to win the hearts and minds of the IT organization uh, to get there, I think is a big part. Um, it's about driving business change in addition to technology change. Yeah, I could share another example. One thing we launched last uh, last summer, I think it was, August, September was, and we recognize um, the need to build up our internal competencies as it relates to cloud. Um, and so we launched this program just to get it jump started called 100 in 100. And the goal was we want to have 100 new Amazon Web Services or AWS certifications in 100 days. And we partnered, partnered with the AWS team. Uh, and I'll tell you, the results were phenomenal. You know, we got to 100 days. I think we ended up having 400 people certified. We're probably up to 600 now. But the biggest change was the energy it created in the organization. Um, and I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, yeah, I never knew you could do this. And what I look at is some of the key value drivers here is, you know, my head of architecture says, if it's not automated, it's not cloud. So you need to think of this in terms of everything needs to be automated. And compared to the way we used to deploy technology, right, and I'll date myself here, but long procurement cycles, you know, you, people physically installing stuff, manually configuring things. And if you do cloud right, it truly can be 100% automated, which allows you to focus on much higher value um, activities, like the value uh, realization things that I mentioned before. So this is one, the more I, time I spend here, the more excited I get about it, um, because it really can touch every part of our business. Yeah, very interesting and and certainly emblematic of where business is going as well. Um, you also have been, and you've touched a little bit on this, but uh, accelerating the pathway towards advanced anal analytics um, as a pathway to, to make better decisions. Talk a bit about how you've done that and some of the building blocks to get there. Yeah, and again, like I think most corporations, you know, data, analytics, AI, ML is a huge opportunity. Um, yeah, and, and I say we have we have pockets of excellence, I'll call it, across um, across Merck. Uh, but our big opportunity is how do we do it more broadly, and how do we do it at scale with increasing velocity? Um, and you know, if I think of the opportunities uh, of, of where this can help us, just in our own function, first off, is you know, you you think about um, what's a good example? I guess cyber. You know, we are challenge to understand, well, where is our risk? And how do we make sure that we're in, investing in the appropriate way to mitigate as much of that as we can? Um, and we do a good job of that, but it's it's manual. And you look at some of the technologies that are coming out today that allow you to do AI-based risk assessment um, and scoring and help you, you know, focus resources where you're going to get the greatest return. In our own shop, just automation, leveraging AI as a key lever, you know, to automate things. You know, and some are basic, like help desk. Um, you know, I was just meeting with a startup earlier this week that has a really cool 
conversational AI approach um, to you know significantly reducing you know the amount of calls that have to go to a human being. You know, so that results in reduced cost. It helps you know with user satisfaction and experience. Um, and it's self-learning, right? So it helps you improve across your end-to-end -end business. Um, if I think of our research organization, you know, accelerating drug discovery through things like image analysis and, and better prediction of which molecules may show activity against a disease target. You know, a lot of these things are still heavily experimental based and being able to take big data and algorithms and help assist our scientists to do that work more quickly is a huge value driver in helping get you know, new medicines to market. You know, on the manufacturing front, it, you, I wish I could just snap my fingers and have an entirely digitized shop floor where every piece of information from where it's collected on our manufacturing process was in a, in a place where it was easily consumable with the appropriate algorithms and visualization tools. You know, that would help us um, improve yields, you know, reduce waste, and ultimately provide you know, product at a lower cost to to our market and our customers. You know, in the commercial space, a ton of opportunities to improve forecasting and and identify next best action for engagement. And then I guess I'll, I'll leave off where um, where I spent eight years in animal health. You know, because we're doing some really cool things around advanced analytics there. You know, where we're the leader on leveraging AI on the farm for our customers. Um, you know, I guess to appreciate this, if you, if you haven't spent time on a farm. When you when you when you go on a farm, whether it's a dairy farm or a beef feedlot, a swine farm, poultry farm, um, a lot of the the practice today is still manual observation to identify health and, and assess health and wellness issues. Um, and what we've been able to do is take sensors and algorithms and mobile technology and say to our customers, you know, we'll tell you when that dairy cow is in heat. We'll tell you when that beef cattle is uh, demonstrating symptoms of bovine respiratory disease. And we'll actually be able to do it with a pretty good um, rate of accuracy. So you think of the benefits that that has for those that customer base around improving health and wellness, first off, of livestock, um, reducing labor, um, improving uh, productivity for the farmers, quality of life. You know, when I've been out in the field a lot, and that's probably the number one thing that our customers told us is, You've actually enabled me to spend more time with my family and doing things because I don't have to physically be looking or have somebody looking at at my farms every day. So I can go on and on, Peter, about some of the excitement we have in the analytics space. But I think I'll lead off with, I'll end up with rather, you know, how you do this is so important. And the formula for me is you have to have great tech that's cloud-based, flexible, agile. You have to identify um, you know, what are the priority areas you're going to go after? Because there's so many opportunities. If you try and do everything at once, you'll fail. And then you have to have an operating model where, you know, the technologist and the business folks work in, in just meld together. Um, so lots of opportunities, great tech to enable these, and you need to have a way of working that allows you to realize the value from it. In, in a past conversation you and I've had, you've talked about the uh, fear you have, or maybe not fe fear is probably too strong a word, but, but you, you think that you, you mentioned that you believe that IT departments at times can be focused uh, specifically on the tactics, uh, on smaller items, as opposed to really kind of contemplating the big rocks, the big, uh, the bigger initiatives, uh, that the organization can focus on to add the highest levels of value for the company and for, for the company's end customers. Um, talk a bit about, uh, how you think about 
orienting the IT organization towards that. You've talked about great relationships with business partners. You talked about uh, the need to focus on the top priorities of customers. Um, talk a bit about some of the methods behind it, and then we'd love to hear, you've already mentioned several examples of innovations. Uh, if there are any others that you, you would cite as some of these bigger bets, I would be interested in hearing those as well. Yeah, thanks. It, well, it goes back to, I think, your first or second question around, you know, how do we manage, you know, these massive business units? And so it really does start with the, the relationships and, and aligning on, okay, what are, where are the opportunities for us to drive value? Um, because if you don't have that, you're, you're just guessing. And, but if you have that, you can anchor everything you do towards those, those outcomes. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's a worry, but I guess it's a good, it's a quality problem to have is it's a target rich environment out there in terms of the opportunities we can pursue as a business. You combine that with the, the rapid pace of technology, plus diverse and sometimes conflicting priorities if we don't do the first thing I mentioned, right? And so you add all that up together and it's a high risk for you know, quickly losing focus or falling into a tech for tech's sake mindset where you know, I'm just not quite sure what the priorities are, but there's a lot of cool tech out there. So I'll just focus on building things and, and hope that there's an application for those at some point. And, and I, I clearly don't think that that's the right model. So it, it's important to, to have the organization aligned on a common strategy, aligned on those high value use cases. And as I mentioned again before, the operating model that allows us to bring all this together. Um, you know, and, you know, with, with the continued advancements in, in cloud computing, um, the playing field's been really leveled relative to access to the latest tech. So our differentiator is not going to be, you know, Merck can afford to invest in technologies that others can't. I mean, everybody can get access to these, these capabilities. So the differentiator is, again, I don't want to sound redundant, but it, it's selecting the the right priorities, aligning the organization uh, and having an efficient operating model to deliver, and then applying the greatest technology uh, to, to pull through that value. And, you know, in terms of, you know, what are some of the bigger areas I see? And, you know, we've touched on a lot of them with automation and AI and cloud. Um, and so all those certainly excite me. Um, and, you know, you know, there's, there's new, platforms and solutions and startups popping up every day. Um, so I mentioned I had the opportunity with three or four startups just this week. And, and as I'm listening to their, their tech, uh, you know, there's two sides of the coin in my brain. It's like, wow, that's really cool tech that's going to enable us to do so much. The other side is how do I integrate that and drive value in Merck, which can be, you know, sometimes a complex environment. So, um, yeah, I, I think another area from a tech standpoint is there's a category of, of, of new technology and startups that are really focused on solving the data-rich information poor problem, right? Where we all have data, it's all over the place. Um, you know, we've gone from data warehouses to data lakes or swamps. You know, now the latest terminology is lakefronts, where, which is trying to combine the best of all these different worlds. And so I think as we continue to innovate in that space, which is a combination of technology, process, leveraging the cloud, being able to connect different capabilities is really gonna be a big opportunity for us. And again, I'll anchor back to, if you've got the right relationships with your business, because this is a tough journey when you're trying to drive this change, um, you know, I think the sky's the limit. Yeah. This has been such an interesting year for all of us, but all the more in your industry. And I'm curious if there are 
learnings, even silver linings about new ways of working in across the past, you know, 13, 14 months uh, that you believe have long tails to them, even once we reach some sort of new or next normal? What are some of your reflections there, Dave? Yeah, gosh, lots of learnings. Um, yeah, I, I think one is, as I look at it, it's, it's really important to understand that um, there isn't a single playbook, um, you know, a pandemic playbook. And, you know, as you, as I talk to different people on my team in different geographies, you know, everybody is in unique situations. Um, you know, for example, there, we had a, a subset of our population that um, worked from home fairly frequently before the pandemic. And for them, you know, going, you know, to this virtual world was not that big of a transition because they, they, they had space in their home, they were comfortable with the tech. Um, then you had others who maybe had never worked from home and suddenly, you know, literally overnight, you're, you're put in place there, you, you've got to try and do your job remotely. Um, the technology can be intimidating, you might be uncomfortable with it. So one learning is, you know, you have to really double down on user experience um, and you have to, you know, um, almost have white glove service for your population to ensure that people can remain productive. Um, you know, the other is that, um, you know, in terms of things that'll stick, well, the capability I mentioned before around remote assist, you know, that's something that now is here to stay. And, and people that used to think, well, I have to get on that plane to go visit that manufacturing site to assist with, you know, this capability. Well, now I, I just learned that I can do that in a very different way. So I think there's a lot we've learned in terms of um, things we thought we had to be in person to accomplish. There's a lot of these um, we can do remotely. Um, and that includes engaging with customers. You know, we've had, we've been fortunate that most of our, our capabilities that um, are used to engage with customers are cloud-based. So it was not that big of a transition from a technology standpoint. Um, and what we've saw, seen is some of our metrics of engagement are actually up. You know, so we've actually been able to get closer to our customers in some pockets um, during this period. So I'm hopeful that some of those learnings are things that will will stick, um, and uh, maybe we won't revert we won't revert back to that. But I, I think we'll you you know the pendulum sometimes can go a little bit too far, and it'll be interesting to see as we settle back into work into for Merck what will be a hybrid way of working. You know, how do we keep the best things that we learned? Um, you know, and not just revert back and then, you know, continue to learn as we go. Cause I, I feel like we still have a long way to go in terms of, um, of learning. I just wanted to ask you at the conclusion here, Dave, uh, what trends excite you as you look to the future? We've talked about a number that you were investing in, uh, the, the orientation from a project to a product operating model, the investments in the cloud and data analytics, uh, the, the lake fronts that you're establishing, uh, et cetera. What are, if there's anything that you've missed or anything you'd like to reemphasize, I, I would, would be interested as you look, say two or three years out, what are some of the things that, that particularly fascinate you? Yeah. You know, I have to say the one that, uh, fascinates me and scares me at the same time is, you know, quantum computing, uh, scares me because it's so hard to understand. And I'll, I'll admit that, you know, but when you look at, um, you know, the potential for that, you know, in terms of uh, drug, you know, really, really complex, challenging issues like weather prediction and human biology um, and accelerating uh, drug discovery and development, security, encryption, you know, if, if and when quantum becomes reality, and I still think we're five to 10 years out before it's, some of these use cases start to become mainstream, but 
Um, it, that's going to be one to watch and one to really keep an eye on. Um, you know, it's just fascinating. Uh, I'm so impressed with some of these startups and the vision that they have. And there's a lot of in, uh, venture capital money being put into this place, into this space rather. So that's one that we're going to keep an eye on, um, play around with, experiment a little bit. And then, of course, we're going to really double and triple down on, on some of the other capabilities that I've mentioned throughout our conversation here. Excellent. Well, Dave Williams, thank you so much for joining me on Technovation today. It's been great to hear uh, a bit about your strategy, your purview, uh, your vision for the future, the innovations that you're enabling on behalf of the company and your co company's customers. Um, it's been a great conversation. Thanks for having me, Peter.